Thank you, Tim. It was beautiful. Well, we're continuing on the book of Revelation. Um, we start this new year and this section of Revelation the title Correspondence with a King or from the King, Correspondence from the King. And we're looking at the second letter to seven churches. Although these letters were to specific churches, there are lessons for every church in these letters. And today we're going to look at Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11, as we discuss this letter to the church at Smyrna. And so I'm going to ask if you'll stand in God's honor as I read from the Holy Scriptures. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray. Father, thank you. That we don't have to worry about people busting through the doors of this sanctuary with guns to arrest us, to break up our meeting. You have blessed us, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we are able to be here. Some, their health is, they're just not able to be here. And thank you that we are. Father, as we come, I ask that you, Lord, would continue to minister to us. I have already been blessed this morning by your people as I find myself in tears, Lord. and uh, Help me to just be able to do what you want me to do, Lord. And you take care of the rest by your wonderful spirit, God. Because we need to hear you. And I just thank you for your people and that we can be here and speak to our hearts, Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 75% of the world, three quarters of the world, Christians are not able to do what we're doing this morning. And that is to meet together without the threat of persecution. In 60 countries around our world, there is persecution that's deadly. Beatings, executions, jail sentences. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I read this. The International Bulletin of Missionary Research said that 480 Christians are martyred somewhere in our world every day. Every day. As a matter of fact, before I finish this message, um, there will be 20 people who are executed just because they love Jesus. Just because they have a heart 
for the one who saved them. You know, that's another reason I guess I was moved to tears. Uh, I, I thought years ago, persecution breeds purity, but affluence breeds apathy. And I think what often happens in a land where we have so much stuff and so much opportunity, that affluence, we just take what we have for granted. And there is an apathy, and we're all guilty. And yet with persecution, although we look and say, man, look how those people are suffering. And I can't imagine it. I remember that wonderful movie that we saw on the insanity of God on a Sunday night here. And, uh, you know, they asked these Christians that were persecuted, what is it like to be persecuted? And they said, well, does the sun come up every day? That's what it's like for us because that's where we live. And then it kind of brings me to tears, you know, almost like, well, well, God, why me? Why am I so blessed that I can meet like this? But then on the other hand, I miss so much of an intimacy with God because of the distractions. We're constantly under distractions. But man, when you're persecuted, you have to keep your eyes directly on the Lord because He's what they're... He's a hope. He's where... You know, there's no time for apathy. Where the persecution purifies. I say all this as we come to this church. It's the church at Smyrna. The very church name, Smyrna, um, is a word that can be translated myrrh. You remember um, what myrrh is. It was a type of perfume that would come from a plant that was crushed. And out of that crushed plant came a sweet fragrance. Fragrance that was also used at burials commonly. And of course remember Jesus. That sweet little baby boy. (laughs) That as the wise men came. One of the gifts was myrrh. Which was a foreshadow of the fact that he came to die. And this church at Smyrna was the church that was well acquainted with suffering. And with death. And with struggle. I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Beautiful word from the Lord. He says, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. A fragrance that comes because of people who are crushed. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And so we have the church of Smyrna. The, the church of Myrrh. The church that is a fragrance to God. But a stench to those who are in opposition to God. It's a a church that knows what it's like to hurt. And I want you to notice here in the text, a church that's not alone. 
I love the way it starts out <laughs> to the church, the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who is the first and the last. In other words, before there was anything created, anything made, any planets, any universes, any stars. There was God. In the beginning, God. Before the beginning, God. We are called to worship the one who is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. And then there's Hebrews 13, 8 that says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in this text here, it is a mention that says, we know who it is. The first and the last. When all else is gone, He remains. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning of all and He's the one that overcomes death itself. He is the victor. The author's Jesus. If there's any doubt, look at the last part here. It says, who died and came to life again. It's our whole hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at what he says to, these, to this church. Matter of fact, let me say a point here. Of the seven churches that are written in uh, this section of the book of Revelation, there are only two of these churches that do not receive a rebuke. This is one of the churches. Wow. I mean, there's a part of me, you know, I think about Jesus. I'm a little bit of, you know, I know you're ultimately going to love me and forgive me and all that, but there might be a couple tough points in there, you know. But in this letter, and for this church, there's not rebuke. I want you to notice what he says here first. Verse 9. I know your afflictions. The word literally means um, great pressures. I know about your great pressures. And uh, those who heard this letter were thought about a common type of uh, persecution and execution where a large boulder was used to crush a person to death, being slowly let down. As the very life was crushed out of the individual. He says, I know what it's like for you to feel that heavy pressure. That, that suffering and, and that affliction that comes. And, and you know, I thought about what Paul said about knowing Jesus. I love that Philippians 3.10 where he says, I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I like that. And... Um, his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. I'm not so sure about that one. And yet, there is an intimacy that Paul acknowledged comes through the suffering. And this church knew suffering. That suffering came from a land where Rome was the pinnacle and the emperor was worshipped as God. And in Rome, if, if you did not pay respect to the Caesar, to that emperor, your very life was in danger. As a matter of fact, once a year, there was a ritual where everyone in their worship was to sprinkle some incense and worship 
to Caesar, and then they could go and worship their other gods. But that is not how the Christian operated. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, uh, Paul says there's one God the Father and one Lord Jesus Christ from whom all things came and through whom we live. It's an the emperor is not the one who gives me life. The emperor is not the one who sustains me. The emperor is not my hope. But that's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is my ultimate hope. Not the emperor. As a matter of fact. As you look at history. You discover in that suffering. Um, in that affliction. That the worship was especially difficult in Smyrna. Because Smyrna was the first place that built a temple to the god goddess of Rome. And then later was the first place to build an idol to the emperor of Rome. It was a place where people were broken. Secondly, he says, I know your poverty. I know your deep poverty. Um, look what he says here in the text. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. You're poverty stricken. I mean, it, there was probably um, some parallel to how it was for the Jews and there in Nazi Germany where their property was confiscated and they were tortured and we've heard... Many of those horror stories of those who suffered merely because they were Jews. And merely because of the faith in Jesus Christ, these people were poor. What they had had been taken away from them and there was that type of suffering. And, and yet, the word here, he says, even though you're poor, you're rich. And why is he rich? Because the wealth is not bound in this place. But with God. Um, give me an example of this. Let's say that my family was super, super rich. What a thought. I can think about that. And had billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know. I, you know, we could just pay off the national debt. Well, that might be really pushing it. But anyway, we were rich and, you know, had this kind of thing. Family takes care of family. So everybody that's family gets a million dollars. And so I find out that my great-great-grandfather and your great-great-uncle were cousins twice removed. But that still makes us family. So, you know, you're due a million dollars. And so I say, you know, yeah, you get your million dollars. You're family, cuz. So write out that check for a million dollars and I give it to you and let's just say your car looks like a bag of bolts just barely going down the road and you can hear it you know it makes music you know just trying to get down the road and your clothes you know they're kind of threadbare and you obviously need some new threads uh, and the, you know you hadn't really been able to eat anything in a couple of days and your last meal was you know romaine noodles because you can get that for what 20 cents a package or something and, but you got this check. And you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Who's got the money? Who's got the money? You know, and you're having a great time, you know. And you call your spouse, we're rich. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, 
you haven't deposited the check yet. The truth of the matter is, even though you're having a time celebrating because you believe that that check is valid and that account is real and your family and you're going to be rich once it's deposited. But not yet. You have the check and your confidence is there and you're headed to the bank. He's basically saying to these believers, you're part of the family of God. You have an ultimate hope that is beyond anything here in this place and in that hope. Place trust. Thirdly, Jesus says, I know you're suffering unfair provocation. Look at verse 9. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Um, They were slandered. There was gossip. There were lies spread about them. People said they were atheists, infidels. Um, Shoo! You know, hey, they got this thing where they actually come together and they drink blood and they eat flesh, so they're kind of like cannibals. I don't know about them. And also there were those, they say they love each other all the time. Sounds to me like just some kind of weird orgy or something that's going on, you know, in the way that they're together. They totally misunderstood. And in that culture and in that day, they were totally misrepresented. And the Lord says through this messenger, (laughs) He says, I know. I know the slander. I've heard the slander. I've heard their claims. But they're claims of the devil himself. Of Satan. They're not true. I know that. I mean, after all, Satan is the one. he, He was hurled from heaven because he wanted the rightful place that belongs only to God. He came here. And then what is awaiting him, according to Revelation 20, is he is going to be hurled into the abyss where he'll stay for a time. And then he'll be released from there. And then he'll be cast into prison. That's where he's headed. He's always being cast down. He's always being hurled down. (laughs) And he's jealous. And he sees those who trust in Jesus who are not being cast down, but they're being raised up. There is a rightful place for the one in Christ to be lifted up, to be redeemed. He knows nothing about redemption. And that's what we are all about, is the hope that God's love is so complete that He buys back what is broken and makes it whole. That's that's redemption. That's what He does. That's His One more here. Fourthly, Jesus says, I know some of you will face a future in prison. Look at uh, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Makes it clear. Some of you are, are going to end up in prison. For your faith. And 
as I mentioned at the start of this message, that's happening today. We have brothers and sisters all around the world who are in prison, separated from their families. I, I read this morning of a lady from China who's been separated for two years from her small children, and she's about to be released, and she was wondering, will they even remember me? There are people that go through this kind of suffering. Um, you know, what does it mean here when he talks about ten days of of persecution? Or some says, well, it'll just be a short time, ten days, as we know, days of persecution. But my theory on this is is probably a reference to the ten persecutions of Roman emperors throughout history that started in A.D. 54 with Nero and ended in A.D. 284 with the emperor Diocletian, ten edicts of suffering toward God's people and the church. And Satan behind it all, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays Christ who is the image of God. They're blinded in their work. He speaks of them and he says, be faithful. That word faithful comes from a root word which means to be convinced. The encouragement is be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is alive, that he is your hope, That he has died for your sins and that you are able to rest in him and in him you are justified and will be with him for all of eternity. A few years ago, Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, who deals with those who are persecuted around the world, um, shared a story in China about some families who were together in a house church worshiping and there were a lot of children that were present. They came and they rounded up these people and they put them in a van and started um, going toward the police station. Wow, the children were afraid. Because these were small children, much small children. But then one of them started singing songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And so then they all joined in. So they're singing and, and the Chinese officials are like, stop singing. So then they, they get them, you know, they get them there, police headquarters. They said, you have to write a hundred times. I do not believe in Jesus. Instead, the children wrote a hundred times. I believe in Jesus today. I'll believe in Jesus tomorrow. And I will believe in Jesus forever. So they didn't know what to do. So they... Got their parents to come in and they commanded them to deny their faith or they wouldn't see their children again. Some of them left. Some of them stayed. One young mom who was a widow, her husband had been killed for his faith, said, well, then you're just going to have to keep them because without Jesus, I couldn't raise them anyway. They didn't know what to do. So they said, oh, take your kids and go home. This is what it's talking about here. Being faithful. Even, you know, as it said, even when you can't trace him, you can trust him. Let me get to the end of this message. I noticed I'm past time here. I want you to see 
the compensation, the blessing that Christ promises. Help if I didn't have my Bible upside down. <laughs> you can see that thing. Okay. Uh, he says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. This word for crown is not the word that means crown of royalty, but the word that means crown of victory. It is the victor's crown. It was given to the faithful citizen. It was given at weddings to talk about a relationship, a marital relationship that will overcome the struggles of life. And it was given to athletes who were victors at their athletic events. And the picture here is that regardless of what is faced, we are victors through Jesus Christ our Lord. First John 5, 4 says, This is the victory that overcomes the world for the one who is born of God, our faith. It is our, it is our faith. It is Christ that will show us that special crown as we run the race for Him. It is Christ who we will celebrate with at the wedding feast. With the bridegroom. It is Christ who will give us that wreath or, or that crown. That says we are citizens of heaven. And, and for now we are facing light and momentary troubles. But there is an eternal glory that will outweigh them all. That awaits us. And it brings us finally to verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Everybody dies, right? What's the second death about? How do you die twice? Revelation 20 is a reference to the fact after you've died once, you will stand... In judgment. The key to the judgment is. Do you die twice or are you born twice? You see either. Either. Are born once and die twice. Or you're born twice and die once. That's the key. If you've only been born once. You know. From your mom's womb. And entered this world. Then you will die. But after death as we know it. There will be another eternal death. That is described in Revelation 20. Where we will be cast out of the presence of God. A separation from God. An eternal death that will occur. But the good news is. If we're born twice. Which means you know we're born from our mother's womb. But then there is another point. Where we understand that. Hey we need a savior. We need somebody to pay the price for us. And that's who Jesus is. And so if we are born again, as it says in John 3, 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That at that moment where we say, okay, God, I can't, but you can. So you come in so that I'll be free and I'll be forgiven. And at that point, it says we are made new people. I love that 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He makes us new. Being born twice, there's only one death. But born once, we will die twice. Now, obviously, the goal here is, uh, and I don't want anybody to go through death twice. 
Sounds bad once. But the second death is forever. Don't leave here if you have any doubt about that. Have you been born twice? Have you been born from above? And secondly, the challenge for all of us. May God help us from being so distracted. Affluence breeds apathy. Persecution purifies. Maybe we need to rethink the tough times. Because it's in the tough times, there's nowhere to run but God. Um, And may He strengthen us so that we're His messengers. We talked about in Sunday school, you know, we're all witnesses. Sometimes we may not feel good about the kind of witness we give. But we're all witnesses. If you love Jesus, truth is, even if you don't feel too good about it, I have a feeling it's good. Let me close with this example. Uh, 55 years after the death of John the Apostle. There was the death of one of his disciples, one of his students, a guy named Polycarp. There was a big celebration in Rome. And in this celebration, people were partying and, and they, there was hysteria over how great Rome is and how the emperor is to be worshipped above all. And somebody said, you know, we need to go get that Polycarp guy who refuses to offer incense and worship the emperor. And we need, we need to put him on the spot. So they drag Polycarp in and they say to him, you either pronounce Caesar as Lord or we're going to tie you to a stake and we're going to burn you. And I love Polycarp's response. Here's what he said. This is recorded in history. Eighty and six years have I served Christ and he's never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and Savior? I fear not the fire which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished. Why do you delay? Come to your will. Why was he able to do that? Because he'd been born twice. He was able to be faithful because he had a confidence in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Thank you for your word and I thank you for this letter to this church known as suffering, Lord. Father, here we are and we need to hear your voice. I pray that the Holy Spirit has been moving in each of us and the key is not to listen to each other but to listen to you. So what are you saying, Lord? What do you want us to do? Is it to be born a second time this morning to enter into the kingdom of God by receiving the gift of God that's Christ Jesus and forgiven forever? Is it to, Father, um, as this new year gets moving, to say, I know I'm distracted. Help me to see clearly, Lord, that I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection Even the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father, we want you to be worshipped at Kingsway. We want Kingsway at Kingsway. And the only way that occurs is if the Holy Spirit's working. And so we invite you, we invite you 
in this time to have your way in our hearts, Lord. So as we stand, as we sing, may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen.